Welcome to Bible Over Brews. Deep thoughts fermented over time and text. We come to you tonight. We are going to discuss what is the biblical canon. What is the canon? Well, you know, it's 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 on the ships. The pirates used to shoot them, and right? somehow I don't think that's the context. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's uh, there's uh, an east and west canon, right? Our whole whole idea: east beats west. So. There is, there's Eastern, there's Western, there's more than one Eastern, in fact, and there's more than one Western. So we are going to be covering that tonight. But before we start, just like the Old West, we're going to get lawless. <laughs> uh, we're bringing a platform brewery in again because they are delectable. And we're going to be sampling lawlessness. It is yes. a... This is good stuff right here. It's a porter. Dark, roasty, and rich. You know, I have always enjoyed a good porter. 6.25%. Let's try it out. You know, porters have always been a favorite of mine. I uh, will usually keep some Guinness stocked. It's an old favorite, an old standby. And uh, if this is anything like Guinness, I'm going to really enjoy this. In the future, I plan on uh, us bringing in a little bit of Willoughby's uh, peanut butter, too. Cause that, oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> that is good stuff. That's heaven in a glass. Oh, you, yes. you cannot a... see through this. Yeah. Um, Got a nice dark color. Very nice. This is not for the birds. No, it is this, not. This is this is a man's beer. <laughs> this if, is really good. If you don't have hair in your chest, you're about to. You can you actually smell the, uh, the 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 notes of the the milk chocolate, cocoa, right. caramel, the brown sugar. Oh man, that smells awesome. This is pretty close to that Willoughby. Yeah, that is delightful. And the Guinness, it's like in between there. It is. It's it's almost a little thicker than Guinness, but enjoyably so. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's equally as dark. Platform, I'm, platform. I'm pretty sure if you fell in here, you wouldn't be able to see through it. <laughs> it and you're right, Steve. It, it definitely has some some chocolatey notes to you it. You can smell it, but you don't taste it. Yeah. Yeah, but you do get a little of the hoppiness with it, and a little bit of the bitterness comes through as you taste it. But as you smell it, you smell that kind of like that milky. Chocolatey, fudgy smell, but yet it's not in the taste. So it doesn't give you that syrupy, sweet taste or nothing like yeah. that. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's definitely not overly sweet, but it does have sweet overtones. Yes. All right. Let's head into our topics. First off, we're going to start with the New Testament because it's, it's a little bit shorter so it should be a little easier for us to dive into. All right. Um, that would make sense. Start with the last and work your way to the first. Yeah. <laughs> Some people do that with uh, their meals. <laughs> <laughs> I have. Or take the well, easiest ones to pay off and do them first, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the first thing you're going to hear is a lot of pseudo-scholars out there, like your Dan Browns, who thinks he knows history. And they're going to say 
very ignorant things like, man, there was like 80 plus Gospels at the Council of Nicaea. And they had to vote. And it was a very close vote. Mm. That's a very erroneous thing to say. Not only is it very erroneous, it is just plain out wrong. And anybody who does the slightest Google search will find out that it's completely and utterly convoluted. Yeah, Dan Brown, um, you know, I don't usually subscribe to much that he says. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he, he's writing fiction yeah. that's not even based on real history. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing we're going to cover is, is back and forth about what were the Gnostic Gospels. And, and there were a series of these. I think one of the, the things I've often heard about the Council of Nicaea is that, oh, that's when Jesus came divine. You know, they, they had to vote him and he was then divine. Right, obviously. And, you know, uh, that just baffles me. I'm like, where did that come from? Where does this thinking come from? Well, it, it comes from pseudo-scholars, yeah. you know, like your Dan Browns. Well, then that basically just limits Jesus is, is he's not God. Right, which was, I yeah. think, the intent of, well, <laughs> Jesus wasn't divine or the Son of God until they voted him that he was. Right. It had to by general consensus. Yeah. I don't know what they're drinking, but I want some Well, I'm of that. glad we're going to be looking at the Old Testament, too, because that will just blow that right out of the water. Um, in fact, I plan on us covering the Council of Nicaea a little deeper at, at another time, because there are a lot of misconceptions about the Council of Nicaea. It was, for one thing, the Council of Nicaea is not where they decided the biblical canon was going to come forth. Um, that had already been taken care of over time. By the second century, in fact, most of the canon was already decided on. You know, and that's that's where you get to like your gospels, for example. Your 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 major your major four gospels, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those four gospels were always known to be the legitimate gospels. And the Gnostic Gospels didn't come around until much later, much later, uh, after the second century. So, the, the uh, and we know that. We know that because the God, all of them, except for Thomas, Thomas is the only exception, all of the Gnostic Gospels are written in Coptic. And so you know they did not originate earlier as the other texts had done. So they were, they were in Coptic, they came along later, and that's where the Gnostics, the, the, a little background Gnostics. The Gnostics were, were a group, and once again, we'll go into this deeper later. Um, they were a group that pretty much defined themselves as, uh, you know, matter bad, spirit good. All right? there, there's a lot of other things that entails. They did have um, uh, a high view of Christ, despite what people like Dan Brown say. Um, they did have a high view of Christ but not a view that espoused him to be both man and God. You know, there, there was varying views of him, but they did not consider him to be man and God, you know, combined. And that's, So w- would that be a Gnostic view saying that, well, you know, Christ wasn't divine until he was voted divine, or is, is that a Gnostic view? Is it? Well, that's not really a Gnostic view. That's... That's more of a, a, a pseudo-historian view. Just really bad theology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So, so, but the Gnostics, like, if you go with your, your traditional ancient Orthodox teachings on Christianity, you know, 
God made good, and he said, oh, I'm sorry, God made the world, and he said it was? Good. That's right. <laughs> right. So, and it's really that Gnostic thinking that says that matter is corrupt. Mm. So that's that's where, man, I say I so a lot. <laughs> that is where um, that thinking comes from. And unfortunately, that has carried over uh, considerably into the Western thinking and Western church um, right through you know, Catholicism, even all the way up into your evangelical thinking. That's why you have hymns like, someday I'll be out of here, someday I'll be gone, someday I'll be... That's 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 actually a, a Gnostic characteristic. But even if you point that, that none of us is good, you know, that kind of theology goes that nothing that's in us is any good. It's all, it's all bad. And therefore, we're not worthy of anything. And and that's kind of shows in our philosophy with that, and to realize that. But yet, when you look at the other things in the scriptures, when God made us, He called us good, right? Yeah, and and it, originally it was the fall that corrupted us, and it didn't. It wasn't quote unquote original sin, okay. Because there's a Western and Eastern view of original sin, right? And your uh, your Western view of of original sin is that you know through Adam, one man sinned, and now the sin carries through our seed. And that's actually a bad translation. And unfortunately, uh, Augustine, who didn't know Greek very well, he got it from Latin, and that Latin translation just wasn't very good. Um, because it was through, if you really look at, look at the translation, it's one man fell, but it never translates that to him passing on sin. Hmm. So I was going to say, cause Orthodox really don't hold to the, to that theory of original sin, do they? No, not at all. If, if you look at both, uh, Christian Orthodoxy and, and Judaism too, um, neither of them holds the idea of original sin. Because how can you sin if you haven't sinned, right? Yeah. If you're if you're a stillborn baby, how could you have sinned? You know. So. So in, in essence, the the Western view of theology to this would be that the child that would be born, as you say, stillborn, just the 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 act of just creating as the creation of that child alone would be sin. He's he carries in in Western theology he carries the seed of sin within himself, and that is passed down from father to son, and that's where you get a few misconstrued ideas. For example, uh, they try to create different ideas to take uh, Mary out of that equation because well she's a woman, and everybody knows that the sin only passes from father to son, so obviously if Mary was conceived with the Holy Spirit, if Jesus was conceived with the Holy Spirit, then obviously there's no sin there. And they have to create all these false dichotomies just to justify that original concept. But yeah, he, yeah. but even as you look to other things, that then, then if that is the case, then the death on the cross... Well, it redeems man. It redeems us from the fall. That's what it does. It brings mankind 
back to being able to inherit what originally we were supposed to inherit. We can now partake of the kingdom now in this world right now. We are redeemed. Mankind is now redeemed. And you either choose to follow or you choose not to. Correct. So mankind is now redeemed. The price is paid. And we no longer have to wallow in once was. Mm-hmm. You kind of do away with that idea of original sin. And you can see why, you know, an Orthodox Jew, uh, they wouldn't have almost need for Jesus. Right. And I'm not justifying that either way. I'm just saying that you can see where their line of thinking is coming from. You know, it, you don't need that sacrifice. We And, and once again... Mm-hmm. Matter is matter's good. Matter is good. Spirit is good. And at the end of the age, what do we have? We have, we have heaven coming down as the new Jerusalem, meeting the earth, and it is combined, right? So you have spirit and you have matter joining together. That's, that was conceptually started in the new kingdom through Christ. You have the God-man, right? You have God embedded in within man so conceptually it starts at god it wasn't too good for god to be enfleshed so matter is not bad all right it's just that we live in a fallen world and we have a proclivity to continue with that fallenness and we have to move past that you know we have to you know, we have to evolve in our spiritual thinking so but that's once again, that's where Gnosticism, going back to the Gnostic Gospels, that's where Gnosticism still has an effect on the Western Church to this day. Actually, the Western culture. Yeah, that's why we're really drinking think about this yeah. too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to the canon, do Orthodox Christians have an official canon? They do, um, but... Okay, so the Orthodox isn't quite like... All right, let's define East and West. In the Western thought processes, you have Scripture that is written down as the chronicles of mankind and God, right? And the words of God, you know, that are transmitted to mankind. And in the Western church sees that as, as um, record, Right. The Eastern Church sees that in a much more liturgical way. So it's they they see it and it's supposed to still work through you. It's 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 a channel where God continues to work with you. And so the canon in the Eastern Orthodox side continues to work on you throughout the liturgy. It comes to life within mm-hmm. you, lives within you. Because from their viewpoint and I adopted this as well. From, from, from the word of God is not the word of God until it resides within you. That's when it is the word of God. Printed words on a page have no power. And I'm sorry, a Bible not being read has no power. You take it back, Aaron. Take it back. <laughs> that word has to come to life through the Holy Spirit and live within you to become the word of God. Absolutely. That's when it becomes the Word of God. And hence, if you've ever been in an Orthodox service, um, the, the importance of the divine liturgy is just surrounded by Scripture. It's 
constant scripture that's being chanted in uh, and and read aloud, you know, throughout the entire uh, liturgy, and it's a very long service as well, too. So it's so you're getting a lot of scripture coming at you. And uh, I remember my first experience of uh, of being in an Orthodox service because uh, my wife was raised Russian Orthodox. And uh, I had noticed that very quickly. My first service I went to, it's like, wow, they're like reading the Bible. They're chanting the Bible. They're singing the Bible. That's and awesome. if you look at the, even the the iconography that's around the church, it's it's all biblical stories that are painted on the walls, which is really cool. That goes back to the whole idea of how do people learn. We don't learn by... Okay, in the West, it, it becomes harder just to read your Bible, right? It's well, almost especially like, in this day and age. It's almost like reading a text, it's like you know, the oral tradition. I mean, they've kept a piece of that. That's that's all. That's really huge. Oh yeah, it's, it's amazing. But it goes, you know, against our culture really now today. I mean, we can't even remember phone numbers because of our smartphones. <laughs> yeah. So right. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I understand why they do that. And Technology, double-edged sword. Yeah. It's so to go back to your question, they do have a canon, okay, and and everybody agrees on the New Testament. The New Testament is is consistent across all the all the branches of Christianity. All of Christendom shares the same uh, shares the same New Testament, um, and all of Christendom shares the same thirty nine books. Um, it just becomes different as it goes along how many books they also include among those. Um, Actually, New Testament is 27. But, yes. 39 is the Old Testament. Well, that's actually, you, you caught me. I, <laughs> I, 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 I was referring to both yes. sides of the canon, but you're, you're out of the club, Aaron. <laughs> well, when it comes to numbers, I, I'm I'm really keen on that. You know, The way I understood it is it's uh, 39 Books are the Old Testament, yes. and you go three times nine, and it gives you twenty-seven, and it gives you the Old Test, the New Testament books. Well, you were a part of an Orthodox church. I became a part of the Orthodox Church when I had met my wife, and she brought me along into her faith. Uh, so at the time, because I was kind of nominal and I was kind of doing my own thing, and in that part of my life, and really, God was not a part of that life, part of my life, but. Uh, uh, it was because of the traditions and everything of the Orthodox Church and my wife's upbringing that was very important. And uh, with her family, it was very important that I become a part of that and that I be accepted into it. So the idea was that I was to become Orthodox. Okay. And I didn't have any quorums with it because um, I did have some training and things like that prior to that, and I understood it was Scripture. And I, and I really... I really enjoyed it, and it was. And sometimes, you know, I it was very tearful because it gets so emotional. You know, do some do do some other things that happened. We are no longer part of that for whatever reasons, but uh, but I know that's those are deep roots with my wife. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, across the older older denominations, it is consistent that the um, there's around forty nine books. Right. Uh, regardless of whether you're looking at uh, Catholicism, Oriental, or Eastern, or 
49 books in the Old Testament is consistent, and 27 in the New. 39. No, no. Wait. 39 in the Protestant Old, Ten- Old Testament. Thank you. All right. That's, <laughs> see, that's. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> the differences that we see right here, I just picked out because I'm so used to like 39 yeah, and yeah, 27. Yeah. Right. And he, he says, wait, there's 49. And then, but based on the Orthodox Bible in the, uh, in the Catholic yeah. canon, uh, it makes it 49. So, but, but why did you there say... There goes my math. <laughs> <laughs> why did you say precedent like that, Aaron? You, that... What? <laughs> I'm just joking. Hey, pray tell. What are you inferring? It's <laughs> <laughs> was Protestant can, lowercase can, can p. You, uh, <laughs> so now that we kind of breached this difference... Right. With the, uh, with the Gnostic Gospels, once again, we can pretty much just cancel that out because we know those came along later. That's... that's Fact that's historical. The the Gnostic Gospels are later written. Now the reason why I say minus Thomas is because Thomas is the only one of the Gnostic Gospels that also shows up in Greek. Mm. Yeah, it's the only one. But when you say we can throw or cut that out, like what does that really mean? Like completely disregarded? Or is there anything that we can pull from? Any of those gospels? Well, I mean, they're they're very interesting. Um, Any historical the, events? Well, that... I mean, there, there's little pieces of the Gnostic gospels that are, I mean, hey, if it's there, I believe in reading it, right? But as far as it being part of canon or even part of what we believe, I wouldn't pull anything from it. Yeah, just right. because they do come from a very philosophically, their background is much different than our own. You know, in fact, it, it, that parlays all the way into uh, Augustine. Augustinian views. Um, a lot of a lot of scholars they do believe that Augustinian views, which later a lot of that turns into the Catholic Church, um, were brought about because of his background. He was very Gnostic when he was younger. Um, he was a Gnostic, so. Because Augustine was a Gnostic, going into his conversion, his Christianity, um, he really tried to separate himself and keep himself, um, his thoughts, his writings, his philosophies, separate from those of Gnosticism. Okay. Which also estranged him from a lot of Orthodox theology. And hence, you get Western theology, which... I know people try to say that they it's not based on it, but everything in the West branches off and from Augustinian worldview. It really does. That's shoot me. That's what I believe. <laughs> we won't shoot you. I just won't invite you back. <laughs> so, no, we have to bring him back. If you, were, if you were speaking at an evangelical church, the offering plate will not go around twice for you. Just once. <laughs> <laughs> so, but all churches agree on the four. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Now, I will bring up here, um, there's a lot of differing views on those four. All right. So, um, a lot of people immediately immediately speak up and say, well, Matthew was written by Matthew and Mark was written by Mark. And not necessarily. 
Okay, the the apostles did start little schools where they started training people. Okay, and later those would come to be called catechetical schools. You know, and that's where you get the word catechism from, catechesis, um, catechumens. Um, so they did start forming schools and teaching and instructing. So Matthew, for example, may have come from Matthew's students as he was instructing them. And that may have come from him teaching them. He himself may not have written it down. He may have very well have had an amanuensis. You know, so he did not necessarily write that all out himself. I know that that's a very... Uh, a very uh, a widespread common idea, yeah. but there's mm-hmm. nothing to actually vouch for that. But wouldn't that be also that the main, the original manuscripts that um, have been found came from times later than probably they were alive? Well, there is good evidence to suggest that it was all four of those were written during the time of the lives of the apostles. There, oh, okay. Between the papyruses we have found and, and other evidences, including internal evidences within the Gospels themselves, um, there is good evidence that they were written within the lifespan of the apostles. That doesn't mean it was right away. General idea is that, you know, that Mark was probably more than likely uh, written first because you have Matthew and Luke definitely... They, they both definitely knew about Mark because um, there's evidence. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's virtually quotations from Mark inside of both Matthew and Luke. So, and, and Luke himself said that he went forward and tried to find eyewitnesses, right? That's what he says right in the gospel. So that itself was not written by uh, an apostle. It was written by the follower of Paul, actually. But he did try, according to his own accounts, to go forward and find eyewitness accounts to compile an exhaustive volume that would become known as the Gospel of Luke. Yeah, and that's that's a big deal. That's a big issue, actually, because I've seen, I don't know how many debates on, you know, people trying to disprove the authenticity of, of the Gospels and try to, I mean... I splitting so many hairs to try to disprove it <laughs> and really falling over their own feet. It seems, uh, you know, the person who comes to mind is Bart Ehrman. So, uh, he is like a notorious, you know, um, person for trying to rip, rip it apart. He is, he is in, in his defense. He also has a couple of good arguments for, they're uh, legitimate, especially the Pauline epistles. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually does validate uh, a lot of the Pauline epistles and you know refers to them as actual legitimate texts. Yeah. So in his defense, he, he does a fairly good job on some of that, on, val- on validation. And, and he has good arguments for that. I do not agree with a lot of the statements that he has as far as the gospel errors go. Yeah. And I'll be honest, if there were no errors, I would find fault. For example, that's a good point. Gumby, let's say that you scored a perfect A plus on your test and you got every single answer 100% correct down to the T. Steve, 
Let's say that you also got a perfect score on your test. Okay? Right down to the last T. I'm the teacher. What do I currently suspect? That we are cheating. Ah, plagiarism. <laughs> right? Or somebody was looking over somebody's shoulder. Especially if we're sitting next to each other. Exactly. So, if there were no errors, I would suspect more. All right? I would suspect some kind of foul play. The fact that there are different views inside the Gospels actually adds to validity rather than error. Yeah. yeah. You know, For example, uh, if you look back, um, let's take a huge event, the Olympics, all right? Um, and, and let's say it's, uh, let's say they were talk, going over the long jump, all right? If you, if you look at the paper, you're, you're going to have slightly differing views. Or 9-11, for example. Oh, all right? If you take 9-11 and you take the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, all of them are going to have a slightly different view on what happened. Are any of them wrong? No. What you have is different viewpoints of the same historical perspective. So... If, they're, if they sounded identical, that would be the problem. So I actually find the fact that they come from different um, ideas, different perspectives, different notions to add validation. I, yeah, mm. I can see that. I can, I can also see it working in tandem to, uh, you know, the, you know, it goes both ways, really. You know, especially if there's, a you know, 9-11, if there's an agenda going on, you know, um, cause I don't know too many people who believe the official story. Uh, that's true. So it, and if that's the case and you got all the newspapers saying the same thing, you know, you're, you're thinking, all right, you know, you can go both ways with that thinking. So if we apply that to the gospels, you know, I think the question then becomes, well, okay, how much error do we right. say can also val- help validate that? And because I, I personally feel like the majority of the Gospels absolutely coincide. Oh, yeah. And help support uh, the story of Christ and the, you know, the validity of Christ. But uh, do you feel there's any error in there? You know, well, here it says this, and but in this version it says that, that kind of thing. Who cares? I mean, there, so that's like really more of translation. This is, this is why they're splitting hairs in, you know, in, in little areas that... Don't really but, seem to matter. But Gumby, the cock only crowed twice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So you know, you know, and I think their argument is, well, you know, it's not reliable. Then, you know, that this is their argument. If if they're, if this is saying this here and it's saying that there, then you know, why why do you believe it is as truth? So you're saying you believe there is more than one rooster. <laughs> there was actually three and they crowed once <laughs> so no, no, at the end of the day I, I hear what you're saying and, and I definitely agree with that that you know actually I want it to be a little bit different yeah uh, with each each of the writers and that does add a sense of authenticity that you know that's human it gives yeah. it that human element that uh, that that's very relatable to us the, the way I understand like in the four gospels each of them selectively has a theme to who their audience is like matthew is, is more for jewish people 
uh, where Mark is more geared towards the, the king. Layman. No, layman, correct. The blue-collar guy. Yes, the blue-collar like guy. Like us. <laughs> and then John was... Uh, uh, he was the king, right? No. John is divinity. Divinity, that's correct. John is divinity. And then uh, Luke was uh, more of the physician type... Uh, Precise. Precise, you know. intellectual. Well, there's a reason for that, too. Um, could be touched. I'm going to be moving ahead a little bit on this just because they touched on both sides of this. Um, Luke and the Book of Acts, or Luke Part 2, um, those were both probably written uh, to Rome. Because as we as we know, Paul was was executed in Rome. That's actually a Roman record. Um, he was actually executed in Rome, and um, so normally you were allowed letters of defense. Mm-hmm. And so many scholars believe, especially if you look at the internal uh, uh, evidence inside the letters, the way they are written. Um, a lot of people do believe that they were written to the officials of uh, Rome. I mean, uh, take centurions, for example. The other Gospels don't always paint them in the, in the nicest picture, right? In Luke and Acts, centurions are the good guys. You know, they're, they're painted in, in a good light, you know. And not to say that that, that did not happen, but instead of taking the... the, um, the common idea of you know like like today right it's the fuzz run right it's mm-hmm. it was kind of the same thing back then right <laughs> but you know back then you know they really were the fuzz because they had those big you know feathers in their hats and stuff so <laughs> mm-hmm. um so That's same only kind in of, hollywood you know running from authority you know because they were allowed a lot of authority right centurions were bad boys i mean like you think special forces are bad? Oh my lord! If you actually look at what centurions went through, it was ridiculous. I mean, they were the special forces of their day. But okay. in Luke in the Book of Acts, they're painted as the good guys. And I'm not saying once again, those events I'm sure did happen because, especially Luke, because Luke he went to it painstaking, you know, lengths to make sure that he got accurate eyewitness accounts yeah and somebody i believe thought the centurion had great faith right that's <laughs> got to stand for something <laughs> i agree but you're right i mean if the if the story was the exact same through each gospels then either way we wouldn't win because our you know detractors would say well ha you know like you said they're they all cheating they obviously it's plagiarism or, or whatever exactly because they're painted to it for different audiences right so it it in my once again in my opinion that adds validity rather than errors. So. Great, we squashed the opposition there. That's there, right. There will be no more debate. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Right. <laughs> I'm sure people will send us their. Right, we're probably getting to pleasure, whatever. <laughs> um, but the the Pauline epistles. Most of the church is actually built on the Pauline epistles. True. So, because he was the apostle to the Gentiles, you know, all of us uncircumcised folk. Well, I mean, relatively speaking. 
I'm not asking. <laughs> I'm not telling. <laughs> but the um, he has he has 14 books in the New Testament. There are I'll point out 14 books that are ascribed to him. That does not mean that all 14 were written by him. However, um, there are other there are books inside uh, the New Testament that could have been written by the companions of Paul. Uh, take uh, Hebrews, for example, uh, one of the early church fathers. Tertullian believed that Barnabas was the one that wrote uh, the book of Hebrews. You're, being, mm. you're, you're taking a very controversial book that, that is very uh, under a lot of scrutiny where some say it might be Paul, but it really there's really most of the scholars really don't clear-cut say who wrote it, say it's a possibility, it could be this one, it could be that one. But the I think what the point is, though, that's really more important is that the book of Hebrew is in the canon. Well, here's the important thing. Um, Hebrews... Jeez, Steve. <laughs> so hard on us. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but I mean, it, it, it's... No, I hear it. I mean, from what I, from what I hear is... Most of the learned theologians that we we know have not taken a stance to which way they say it could be this, it could be that, but they don't take a stance that it. One thing they do agree on, though, it is in the canon, right, and that it is very much part of the scriptures. But we have to make sure that we know why it is vowed to be in the canon. Correct. Now, and Hebrews is one of those. Regardless of whether or not Paul himself wrote it, it is Pauline instruction. Okay. Correct. So, so yes. if I'm playing devil's advocate here, and I'm, yeah. what happens if later on, you know, somewhere in caves, we find out that, yeah, all right, Pauline di- didn't write all of it, and it was somebody else? That's entirely possible. Is now, that going to, you know, I mean, what does that do to Scripture and the authority of it? Does that... Change well, anything? Does, do the, do the rules change at all, or I mean, what do we do? That would definitely that would be on the table for sure. If we did find that, so if we did find out that parts of it were not legitimate, okay, let's put that on the table. And, and that does happen. Okay, for example, if we take um the last several verses of uh, Mark, all right, yes. because most people, if you look into most Bibles. Most people know that once you get to uh, the end of Mark, there's this this little footnote right there that says, you know, this is where the early, it says MSS, you know, the manuscripts, this is where the, the early texts end. And that's true. And the rest of that chapter is not in any of the early manuscripts. Correct. I mean, there's only a couple that go back that far. Yes. But they're not in the earliest manuscripts. Okay, so... Are the last several legitimate? It doesn't matter. It doesn't change doctrine. Okay. Really, the only people that hold on to that are charismatics because that's where it talks about everybody speaking in tongues and this and that. So really, the only ones that dogmatically hang on to that being legitimate is is the charismatic circles. And boy, could we rabbit trail there on top. Yeah, we're, 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 we're not going to. We're not going to. <laughs> we don't have all night. <laughs> I could start speaking in tongues if I really wanted to right now. <laughs> yes. 
what was that by the Honda? No, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, my Honda? oh my gosh, <laughs> the jokes you gone forever. <laughs> but but the but clearly learned theologians understand those portions of Mark. They were later added for whatever reason. I know that most of the people who we kind of understudy and we listen to and we kind of watch and and get a lot of our knowledge from agree with that. Right. And and mind you, that's why Bible translators have been very good about going in and notating where those questionable areas are. You know, another one is uh if you go back you'll you'll find that part where it says the Holy Spirit would move the water and whoever whoever touched it first would be healed. Remember that? Yes. Okay. That does not exist in any of the early manuscripts. In fact, its language internally is different from the rest of the gospel. So that is definitely added later. So there are addendums mm. that were added later, but scholars are very good to notate that. And even, even in the King James Bible, you'll usually find those notations. Mm-hmm. When you say so. add it later, okay, so my mind's immediately going to, um, I believe, Christ making references to the book of Enoch. He did, at least eight times. Why at that point won't you know there be a consensus saying, hey, you know, he's referencing this. Why can't this be added or at least considered as part of canon? Yeah. Or something like that, you know, like wh- where do those decisions get made within, you know, when we're talking about canon? And why wouldn't it be if, it, if Christ was referencing it? And Christ references it, Jude does, Second Peter does, yeah. uh, Revelation. But, um, I mean, I, at I, the very I, least, it seems important to know, you know? Oh, definitely, definitely. The backdrop of Enoch, and we're going to spend a whole episode on that, just because a lot of New Testament, even ideas and theology, is based on Enoch. So, and we'll go into that, because that's one we could easily spend an hour on. So, but the decision to include it, like, we're... we're well, there, 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 it took me a long time to find that one, and I okay. did research that one. I did research that because with it being as influential as it is, I, want, I, I had to know, why isn't this in our canon? Ironically, it is inside Ethiopian Orthodox and Beta Israel. They do have it inside their canon. Oh, okay. um, so there are branches of the church that do include the Book of Enoch. Not many. There are some. In fact, in its entirety, uh, Giyas, which is the uh, the language of Ethiopia, it's really only found in its entirety in the native language, ancient native language of Ethiopia, or Ethiopic, as it's often called. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I I pulled back and researched that like endlessly for a while, mm. and the best consensus I could find. And I've yet to find an actual church record of this. But I did find references inside of old uh, Catholic forums. Okay. Um, Because they do contain... uh, Catholics are the kings of keeping really good records. And... uh, Especially with your taxes. (laughs) And tithes. (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) 10%. Um, My daughter's tuition's going up. (laughs) 
And, uh, but if, <laughs> going back into those forums, I actually did find references to uh, one of the councils. I will make sure we have the, all the information when we do our uh, Ethiopic episode. Okay. But even, um, even what you guys are talking about, Mark, Inaki. they added things to Mark, right? Yes. That implies to me, like, wait a minute, they added something to Mark. Are there things that I don't know about Mark, you know, that we haven't read yet? <laughs> like, is it in a vault? And they, hey, you know what, guys, this one's looking good. Let's add it in. Like, <laughs> I just kind of want to know the thought process behind that. Like, what else don't we know about Mark or or any of the Gospels or, or any book? You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's, it's scholars have tackled that. So there is what's called uh, uh, the TM, the, the majority text. Okay. Te- textus majoris. Uh, um, that has kind of helped to bring things around. And what they did was they did a comparative analysis. They aligned all of these texts together, right? Uh, pretty much what they do is they examine most of 5,000 texts and they find what general consensus what agrees among the texts okay and by and by going with that you can kind of determine what is early and what was not so because you can examine the earliest texts to let's say you know 1000 AD so you can go through and you can examine those texts to try to see what the gradual evolution of the text was and especially across various languages because you know not everything was greek Okay. As you progress through time, you have, you know, you've got Slavic, you've got Coptic, you've got, it, 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 you know, got translated to various languages. So you can get a general idea, a general consensus from the first century forward of what happened to the texts. And, and really, okay. really, the 6,000 variations that are out there are quite minor. Most of it comes down to like misspellings. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is very, very minor. Um, if you take any other early text, you know, uh, the Iliad, for example, you're going to find a lot more, uh, deviations from the original texts. Okay. So, so really, if you, if you look at the text throughout time, the fact that there is so little deviation from the originals is fantastic. It's, it's actually amazing, yeah, especially when it comes down to simple things. Simple things like misspellings, like I said. Um, and, and there are other things. You know, we'll cover a couple of those tonight. There are other things. But um, but general consensus is is that the you know, mark, okay, is in its general form and it is notated where it does deviate from the earliest texts. Got it, yeah. And, and the probability alone just... Uh... Just a numerical factor of just the just just because of the uh, spelling errors and things like that, but just there's so few that are in the scriptures that the probability of it being close to accurate is just phenomenal. That it's it's an exponential number that that we can't even fathom. <laughs> That's good. So yeah, as Chuck Missler is one of our guys we do follow is kind of like the numbers guy oh he's a numbers guy he's <laughs> definitely a numbers guy and he's very got a very analytical mind and uh and a sense of uh just looking at things and probabilities and things that happen in the scriptures and the odds of it being accurate are just i mean just so i mean just so minute 
Yeah. yeah. Well, and, we have a lot of early witnesses, and that's what helps. I mean, you've got uh, Papyrus 46, which is one of the oldest manuscripts. It contains the last eight chapters of Romans, all of Thessalonians, um, because it is damaged. Uh, there is, you know, there's no scholarly consensus on whether to consider the omission of a text, but that contains a, a good number of the of the early books. Um, once again, it's damaged, so it's not all there, but a lot of it is. And, okay. And and like I said, even though some books like Hebrews, like we were talking about, um, may not uh, have been written by Paul, even though it is ascribed to him. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was written by Barnabas. Could be. Barnabas was a travel companion of Paul. It's so nice. either way, you're looking at, at Pauline instruction. Um, and there's other ones, like like uh, we haven't got to the other, other letters yet, but like Second Peter is under a lot of dispute. And because like if you look at First Peter, First Peter is written in very concise, beautiful, awesome Greek. You get to Second Peter, it's not written quite as nicely. Well, Peter was so, not a very learned man to begin with. Well, and some scholars will say that, well, maybe he had an amanuensis in the first one, and somebody, you know, as he dictated, they wrote down for him, and then maybe he wrote down himself in the second one. There is, uh, there is back and forth ideas of why they are different. Um, he did have a temper. Could have thrown him off the boat or something. <laughs> <laughs> not riding fast enough. <laughs> I'm doing the second one myself. <laughs> if you want something done. <laughs> Help is so hard to find. <laughs> Pay? No, 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 no. This is all volunteer work. <laughs> oh, you want to see me walk on water? <laughs> Sorry, all right. I know where the stones are. <laughs> so... And you know, just like people, people will dispute like Thess- Second Thessalonians, and so there is dispute among some of the uh, the actual authority or the uh, who to ascribe them to. But the fourteen are ascribed to Paul either way. Correct. So, and and all of them very much do go along with Pauline thinking, and the churches would copy off his letters, and then send them back and forth to each other. And that's why they became so prevalent among the churches. And so even though there are these uh, issues, I guess is, you know, for lack of better words, you know, up for debate, it's not something that would change the central message. Oh, not at all. So, you know, the validity is still there. Yes, correct. The message is still there. Even then, let's take that idea. Okay, let's take that idea. It's... It's inspired. It's God inspired. It's God breathed. All right. Yeah. And that and and if you get away from that, your your evangelical becomes very very frightened, as you said. Nervous. Yeah. Yeah. And there is no reason for that because the whole New Testament is very concise in what all of it stands for and what all of it believes, and church tradition. Interior evidence and exterior evidence all show that the New Testament stands on its own. Mm-hmm. So even just as historical documents, even Bart Ehrman, despite what he says about there being errors, even Bart Ehrman will tell you, yes, they are legitimate historical documents. Sure, yeah. And I so. think 
as as our perspective is looking at this from our from our own viewpoint is that I think this is where a lot of the the issues come about is where somebody will grab a small segment of the New Testament and their entire theology is based on that one little verse or that one little segment whereby we need to take, do a more holistic view of the of the scriptures in in the context of of its entirety and not just focusing on one little aspect mm. and then we get driven by that and feel that our christianity is based on this one thing you know that's that's just a little blurb in the entire new testament as we look at the life of christ as we look at the apostles as we look at the the growth of the church right as we look at things in in a whole context to realize that yes there are little nuggets in there that do apply to our own personal lives and they're and they're they're inspiring to us and they they give us hope and they do a lot of things for us which the scriptures do and they give us life but to realize that we just can't with like a little microscope and just say, well, Christianity is just based on only that. And it's not. <laughs> right. It's based on all, the entirety of the, of the, of the gospels. Well, and, and like you were saying earlier, if you take the idea of it being like a liturgical type lifestyle, then the scripture is living through you, through your spirit, through your heart, through your mind, because it, it's, it's, it's lived. Mm-hmm, across right. every service, across every <clears throat> hymn, across every... It's brought forward. It becomes the Word of God because now it is living in your mind, in your heart, mm-hmm. in your soul, in your... So your house isn't built on sand. Right. Right. Correct. So, I mean, take the early church writings, for example. If you take... There's uh, there, there's three. There's three apostles, uh, three apostles' disciples, okay, that we can look at, and they are known as the Apostolic Fathers. All right, that's Polycarp, Clement, and uh, Ignatius Fantia. <laughs> um, and these these three guys, and maybe Barnabas, maybe Barnabas, because there is we were talking about Barnabas earlier. There is a uh, a letter of Barnabas, but it is in dispute back and forth between various uh, scholars. Um, it may be legit. Uh, Clement of Alexandria did believe that it was a legitimate letter. Okay. So maybe, maybe not. But either way, we do have three that who were directly discipled by the apostles. Uh, Polycarp wrote his letter to the Philippians. Uh, you've got Clement, who wrote one and two Clement. Well, who wrote one Clement for sure. <laughs> All right. Two Clement, once again, is in a little bit of dispute. Uh, but definitely first Clement. Uh, and then you have the seven letters of Ignatius of Antioch. And let me let me open that up just 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 a little bit because uh, Ignatius is a little close to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Ignatius was, was a bishop of Antioch. He, he was a very profound man. If, if you go across his uh, his seven letters, he wrote them on his way to the arena to be executed. 
That's a man. Right? Mm-hmm. Wow. And he could have got out of it. That's the thing. He could have got out of it. He said, no, I am going to stand for my faith and they will execute me and I will be torn apart by the lions and the bears. Jeez, oh man. I mean, and he said, I will do this, forgive my enemies, so that that way people will know where I stand. I mean, what an amazing saint. Yeah. And he even told his followers... If I'm on the way there and I ask you to save me, do not save me in my moments of weakness. So, I mean, this was, this was a man not just willing to die for his faith, be a martyr for his faith, but he did it joyfully. He did it to be an example. Right. And to this day, we still have those seven letters. So, I mean, that's... Incredible. Right? <laughs> wow. So. And then give you the clothes off his back on the way. Right. That's just, it's, that's, yeah. yeah I, I don't see that too often. And I, you know, I must say that I, I'm not sure if my faith is like that. <laughs> it's not. I'm just going to be honest. Say, we're we're kind of pretty wimpy. You know, we've been, <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. But like we're almost, you know, we have a derivative of that kind of Christianity. It's, it's, it's almost foreign to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's, once again, in the West, we, we have almost like a, it's like a watered down faith. It's almost like, it's, it's almost like your parents don't want to give you wine, but yeah. they want to tell you they're giving you wine. So they're going to give you a little bit of wine and a lot of water. Yeah, that's sparkly cheap stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. We knew. Right. <laughs> So they, it's and it, it was actually grape juice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's so watered down once it gets to you know the masses that you almost feel like you know it, do I have yeah a real faith is yeah. this because I feel like I, I could buy this denomination at Walmart <laughs> download it. <laughs> hey, check out my new app. <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying well, you know what. And let me kind of, I don't want to die. You know, right. I, I really don't. I don't want to be persecuted on that level and die. But this man saw the writing on the wall. He saw it was an e- inevitable. Right. You know, he, he knew what was coming. And I'm sure he didn't, you know, the human side of him was like, I don't, of course, I'm, I'm scared or I don't want to die. But it, it's happening. I see it coming. And yet I'm still going to believe in Christ and follow his teachings along yeah. the way. And he knew he would have those moments of weakness, which yeah. is why he told them, if you hear me to say, save me, don't save me. That's wow. specifically why he said that, because he knew that he would feel weakness. Yeah. Do, do you feel that, uh, that he witnessed the death of Christ? Oh, no, 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 no. When was he? I mean, Ignatius was, he was a disciple of the apostles. Okay, so he was later on. Yeah. But even the fact that it still was earlier in history, after the death, but to realize that even what Christ had done for him became so passionate in his heart. Oh, yeah. That he was willing to virtually almost do the same. Yes. Well, and that, see, that was one of the big differences. And Rome noticed that 
Rome noticed that because they're like, well, these Christians, they're not even fighting. They're just, you know, before the term was even coined, they're being martyrs. Correct. So, and, and they did that because they said, hey, if Christ can die for us, we can die for Christ. Right. You know, and that really, the, the sacrifices of their own lives is really what ministered to the people of Rome. You know, and that had a huge impact on the soldiers and the followers. I mean, it's it's remarkable. It's remarkable because they became they became well look to this day. To this day, we still have the letters. We still have the records of what they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only them, but they laid the groundwork for every other saint across history. Mm-hmm. I mean if you if you read the lives of the saints, which is Actually, cool apps for that, by the way. You can sit there and yes. read the daily lives of the saints. Oh, jeez, I was just joking about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's encouraging, okay? Yeah, yeah. But it, it really makes you question your own faith. Sure. Because there's tales of like, uh, for example, there was, uh, there was a saint in, oh, I think, I think it was Lithuania, um, where he, they told him, if you do not resign from Christianity... We will saw your head off. Saw, not top, saw your head off. Mm. He would not. They put a saw in his mouth and sawed his skull off. I mean, if you look at, at, at some of the sacrifices that these people went through, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, these are the ones who have earned their rewards. These are the people who have washed their robes white, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. and we're worried about our but even our internet being cut off. Right. You know? <laughs> even under Nero, the, the Christians became the lampposts. Oh, it's horrible. Horrible yeah. deaths where they were lit on killed and lit on fire and became the lights for the night. Yeah. And to realize yeah. that that even today as as a as a Christian here in America, we have it just way too easy. Yeah. It's like people were like, Oh yeah, they they just said they were disciples to gain uh, notoriety. They wanted to be famous. I don't think so. <laughs> That's not the kind of fame you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think they were very famous in their day. No, not, not at all. In fact, they were just, they were to be reckoned with. Yeah. And actually, they um very controversial. Yeah. It, it, I, I will say this, too. That thanks to the... Uh, the early anti-Nicene fathers, um, that's the fathers who were before the Council of Nicaea, anti-Nicene. Um, before the early, you know, as the early church fathers moved forward, they actually quoted from all the books of the New Testament. You can recreate virtually the entire New Testament just through new quotations alone. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's just through the anti-Nicene fathers. I mean, that's how quoted the New Testament is. Mind you, there were no Gnostic Gospels quoted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly amazing once we start getting in and we realize that you can rebuild the New Testament just through their quotations. It's incredible. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. that takes us going into... The Old Testament canon. So there is uh, the Greek Septuagint. There is the Masoretic text in Hebrew. 
and there's the Aramaic Pentateuch. We'll be diving into that next, but before we do, we'll be diving into some platform. This one is going to be The Project, Dry Hopped Ale Series. Bring it on. This one, it's supposed to be rather good. Honey. I like honey. And it, oh man, it is much, much clearer. <laughs> Ooh, oh, that is beautiful. It's got this nice golden color to it. Um, it's rather foamy. Steve? There you go, Steve. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And that is, uh, wow, it's got a lot of head. Ooh. And he's got some beautiful aftertones. You know, I noticed with Platform, I I don't mind drinking it out of the can or a glass. Yeah. There's some beers I'm like, I'm not keeping it in a can. There are others like Guinness, I'm like, I don't want to take it out of the can. <laughs> you know? Right. You can go either way with Platform. Man, yes. that is really good. It has these awesome little fruity overtones. Yes. It's definitely it's, a citrus, it, orange, and lemon. I was about to say it's it's, it's got that citrusy. Um, it's citrusy. You could you could taste. Is there honey in this? There is. There oh. is. Yeah. Oh I, yeah, you taste. That's the honey. good. Citrusy, honey, golden. I mean, it's you can look right through it. It's beautiful. It definitely has not oh, much really, bitterness to it either. It's, wow. It's definitely the sweet. And um, you don't taste the hop so much in this one. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of that is awesome. <laughs> I'm worried. Is this seasonal? Like, can oh. we not get this all the time? Yeah, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to find out. This is this might be one of I, my favorites so far. I, yeah, me too. I'm finding out. Usually, the ones with honey tend to be seasonal, and I'm not sure why. I mean, it's because of the or whatever, the, the lack of honey. Okay, because they probably. Yeah. Get their honey from a local, like local honey, and right now it's not in season. Mm. A little bit of a caramel malty flavor. You get that? Yeah, this is good. Oh, this man. It's really good. That is, that might be one of my favorites so far. Because yeah. that's, I mean, it's, it, it's beer. This is good. It's no doubt that it's beer. But it's the combination of flavors where you have that citrus, yeah. that honey, yep. that caramel back taste on it. That's it's really good. And it also has a slight hint of vanilla in it, too. Oof. Yeah. Kind of gives it that smoothness. Yeah. So you don't get that, that bitter yeah, you're right. as much. You can't taste the alcohol a whole lot. Right. I really hope this is not seasonal. I really want to go out and get fish and chips. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's what this that makes me want to do. Amazing. Ooh. Fish fries are tomorrow. Oh, yeah? <laughs> All over. Again. It's fish fry season. Cleveland. Wow. Great place to get beer. Oh. It does make you love Lent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. All right. So we've got um, the Hebrew Masoretic text. So um, now the Masoretic text was... It was edited three times over, say, 
about a thousand year span. The last time was around, you say, 999 AD, just before the turn of the century. And uh, uh, it's a project that really started probably around the 7th century and moved forward. So um, it, it does present a few issues, though. Um, the Masoretes admitted at times that they received some corrupted text. Mm-hmm. Um, the Masoretes, they, uh, they wrote with a different alphabet. So that also had a few issues. Um, now, can I ask a question on, on the alphabet? Because I sure. had done a little study on this. And okay, please. With this, in the alphabet that they used, they used the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet, correct? That was consonants only? Well, no, no. Then they the, added the, the vowels? early manuscripts were consonants only. And to yes. this day, they actually still use that system. Yes. But the early manuscripts did not use vowel points. It was consonants. But the Masoretics added the vowel points. The Masoretes, they did add the vowel points. Um, they did not exist in the originals, which did unfortunately allow for a few deviations. Um, we're not going to go deep into it, but... Um, Right, and we're not going to say that it was intentional. <laughs> right. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that there are less references to a certain savior. Right. Anyway. <laughs> um, it, it also excluded several books that were in the Septuagint, which the Septuagint was the accepted Old Testament of the Christians. So obviously we had to get rid of a few of those. Um, <laughs> the Masoretic te- text um, includes a few changes to prophecy and doctrine as well. So knowing that going forward, the problem is, is that 98, maybe even a little higher than that, percent of all Bibles are translated with the Masoretic text. Um, and that includes the celebrated King James. Um, we won't go into all of the history of why. It actually goes back to Jerome. But <laughs> Jerome's like, oh, wait a minute, hold on. How come they're not doing this? Because there, there was the Council of, y- of Yamnia. Okay? Some people say, well, Jamnia, except that the J is not a J in Hebrew. All right? So it's actually the Council of Yamnia, where they went through and decided what texts they wanted inside of the quote-unquote Hebrew Bible. All right, and uh, and Jerome had some some issues with that, so hence the dropping of the Septuagint and the adoption of the Masoretic text. Now the Masoretic text is not bad. Okay, it, I was just gonna say, do we throw the baby out with the with the dirty bathwater or what? What do we do? Uh, no, 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 we don't do we that. We can't. <laughs> no. Come on, that baby could still be nice somebody someday. <laughs> I'd have no Bible in the house. You know? <laughs> right? Not entirely true. But anyway, uh, uh, there actually is the the Orthodox Study Bible uses the Septuagint. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nets, any T. Yes, yeah, right. not the net, but the nets also is a translation of the, has the translation of the Septuagint. Um, so there there are some, and I believe that is free online as well. So there are some uh, some ways to get the Septuagint out there, but there are some helpful things inside of the uh, the Masoretic text as well, because culturally 
Some things did change, of course, over the course of a thousand years. But there are changes in there that you want to see. You know, and once again, we're not going to go deep into those right now. We'll make references to those across future episodes. Um, but there, there are things you do want to retain from the Masoretic text. Um, it's better if you can go back, because if you can go back to, you know, let's say the, um, okay, I'll put it out there. If if you go out to the Dead Sea. <laughs> And you go to some certain caves in Qumran, you'll find these texts. And if you do a comparative analysis of these texts, you'll find there are some deviations. Where these deviations are, if you compare the Masoretic to the Septuagint, you will find that 95% of the time, those deviations are on the Masoretic side. Only 5% are on the Septuagint side. So the Dead Sea Scrolls will almost always agree with the Septuagint, which makes sense because it's an earlier translation. So. There That's it is. what it's for. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I put it out there. <laughs> I so, will not take it back. So we are, are we talking... <laughs> Predominantly of the Western Bible, or, or the we, Western persuasion, the Western persuasion <laughs> we can get of really the scriptures, specific and say or we, or, as you said, the, the Eastern <laughs> tend to have a tendency to go to Septuagint, where we're probably more of the Masoretic. Correct? Well, even the Latin Vulgate was translated from Septuagint, so um, even so, you could say Orthodox regardless of what kind of the Orthodox, all Orthodox, um, and, and Catholicism, uh, they both derive from Septuagint. Mm-hmm. So there are some deviations as far as books and stuff like that, but they do both derive from Septuagint. So how did the Masoretic uh, get put in this equation? Once again, Council of Yamnia, right? And the Hebrews adopted these books. And they went forth on their, um, I don't want to say reconstruction, because, like I said, they, for the most part, they do agree with, their, with the earlier texts. The earlier texts, for the most part, agree with Masoretic. Um, but where you do find those deviations, it is usually on the Masoretic side. So unless you... For example, okay, you know what? Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna pull something up for you real quick. I'm gonna give you a for example because it's 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 fairly significant. Um, we're gonna turn over to the 91st Psalm, okay? And the 91st Psalm, you'll see a big difference, all right? So first, um, let's see. Does anybody else have a, have a Bible open? Maybe? Yes? Oh, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm opening mine right now. All right. Um, open it to any Western Bible. Any... Okay, i got to change my version. Uh, maybe not necessarily. I'm on ESV right now. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Go to Psalm 91. I'm going to show you 
a difference. It's not a huge difference, but there is a difference. Um, there, like I said, inside <sighs> Masoretic text is going to disagree in the deviations. Okay, I'm in Psalm 91. Okay, go ahead and start reading. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense okay. of the wicked. You can stop right about there. All right, so um, for the most part, they agree with, with everything you just read. Now, here's where it gets a little bit interesting. Now, I also say this too, the numbering of the Psalms is different in the Septuagint to the Masoretic. So, um, but here, with, with his shoulders, he will overshadow you, and under his wings, you will have hope. With the shield, his truth will surround you. That one will not be afraid from fear by night, from the arrow flying by day, from the deed carried out in darkness, from mishap and the demon at midday. Whoa. Use the D word. <laughs> <laughs> so now there is a very deep significance in this psalm because even when it says from the arrow that flies by noonday, that's actually a spiritual connotation. That's a reference to uh, spirits in the daytime. Um, I'm not going to go through all of the, you yeah. know. <laughs> Let me read you from my Schofield Bible here. It says, <laughs> makes no matter what the scripture says, just look at my reference notes, and that's all that's important. That's <laughs> so, bad joke, sorry. Sorry about that. Man, that's another bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad joke night. <laughs> but the... um. There is a significant difference in here because it actually brings the spiritual side into the psalm. And in the earlier text, the Hebrews actually looked at this as a psalm of uh, casting out demons, right? I won't go as far as say exorcism, but this was supposed to be uh, a psalm that was supposed to push evil spirits away if you go to early Judaism which doesn't make a lot of sense if you read from the ESV, right? But if you read it from over here, from the uh, Septuagint, it directly references demons and spirits. So that's one place where you can see that there is, there is a huge deviation. So there, between the Masoretic, the Masoretic will not go quite as in-depth in a lot of things. And uh, it will deviate from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Once again, it doesn't mean that we can't pull from the Masoretic because there's some areas in the Masoretic that make things a little clearer than even in the Septuagint. 
but not in as many places as the Septuagint makes things clear. So yeah. the Septuagint is normally going to be the one that's closer. Um, there is also the Samaritan Pentateuch. Um, it's actually a very old translation. Once again, among the Dead Sea Scrolls, there, there are remnants of the Sumerian uh, Pentateuch. So it is a very old translation. Still in, uh, in use today. Um, the Septuagint actually agrees with the Samaritan in approximately 1,900 of the 6,000 variations from the Masoretic. Many of these agreements reflect inconsequential grammatical details, but some are significant. For example, Exodus 20.40 in the Samaritan and the Septuagint reads, Now the sojourned of the children of Israel and of their fathers which they had dwelt in the land of Canaan, and in Egypt was 430 years. However, in the Masoretic text, the passage would read, Now in the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. Now, some passages in the Latin Vulgate show agreement with the Samaritan against the Masoretic. For example, in Genesis 22, in the Samaritan, has land of More, while the Masoretic has land of Moriah. Land of More is considered to be Samaritan variant because More describes the region around Shechem, where Gerizim is situated. Now that's that is significant because the uh, the Samaritans and the Hebrews did not agree on their place of worship, so that is one of those areas that they that they do differ. Um, once again, the Septuagint, my preferred text, <laughs> and it is quoted. Ninety percent of the quotations in the New Testament are Septuagint. Yeah. Okay, and the Jewish leadership really did not like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, and it just seems like the Masoretic, if there's any translations out there that's going to open us up to be thrown under the bus so quickly for any little thing, it comes from the Masoretic text. Yeah. You so, are correct. Just, I say throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> Let's just really scrub that baby up. <laughs> with the Septuagint. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that is, I mean, for example... Um, I'm not going to quote the passages right now. Uh, there's actually an article. Later when we post this podcast, um, I'll include uh, some links. Um, but there is a significant difference inside the quotations. For example, if you who wrote the Ten Commandments? Was it God or was it angels? <laughs> You know, I was going to go with <laughs> angels because I always thought it was God, but... <laughs> I, I, angels. It, it, it depends on if you're looking at the Masoretic or if you're looking at the Septuagint. Correct. So, and, and that kind of goes with who was Christ in the Old Testament. So... Ooh, that's a whole other taboo issue there. Yeah, uh-huh. So, and we're not going to go there. And no... We are not saying that he was the Archangel Michael. <laughs> that is a modern Aryan heresy that we are not going to even give light to in this episode. <laughs> that's, that's taking a <laughs> Or up. any future episodes. 
Well, no, we we taking the gloves off. We may <laughs> we may go ahead and, and do a little bit in a future episode. I've actually covered that in uh, in my in my blog post a little bit. Um, I do run a blog, uh, Crew Juice Blue Collar Scholar. So I I do I do run a uh, a uh, a few articles about stuff like that, and they're good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, this is not a shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so. Let's let's uh, let's get down to the nitty gritty. All right. So canons. So we've been talking this long: New Testament, Old Testament, Masoretic, Septuagint, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What it comes down to is, if you go to the Jewish canon, there are twenty-four books in the our Protestant Bibles. What do we always say? How many books are there? Sixty-six, 66 total. That's right, sixty-six, and that's. If you go to almost any church across America, they're going to reference the 66 books. And that's because of the Reformation. The Reformation it took place. I'm not going to condemn it, but I'm not going to uplift it <laughs> because it is what it is. Um, it, it, it caused some good things. It caused some bad things. And uh, we're going to leave it where it lies. But we got our 66 books because of that. <laughs> if the hearers could see your face as you're saying that, like I see it, <laughs> it's priceless. <laughs> so, out of those 66 books, we got the 39 of the Old Testament, the 27 of the New. Um, we go to the, the Roman canon, and we have 46 books of the Old Testament. 27 in the new we go to the eastern all right and we've got 51 inside the old testament or the ducks or the duck <laughs> and we've got 27 inside the new now some of that is just simply due to the way that they compile their books because some church some of the ancient churches would put would lump some books with other books. For example, if you go to Eastern Orthodoxy, and uh, and in or Oriental Orthodox and the like, um, there's actually three parts to Daniel. Whereas inside the Protestant canon, we only have one. And if you go to the early church writings, those are referenced, so they are legitimately ancient texts. But we don't include those because, hey, they're not inside the Jewish canon. Oh, I see. So there's actually things you miss from the Apocrypha. Um, Paul quoted heavily from the Apocrypha. Jesus quoted from the Apocrypha. Um, the armor of God actually comes from the Wisdom of Solomon, which is an Apocryphal book. So there, there's a lot of Apocryphal quotations all across the New Testament. So we cannot throw the Apocrypha out in the... Uh, and and I'll, I'll bring this out because I'll say this. In Catholicism and inside Orthodoxy, it's not called the Apocrypha. It's called Deuterocanonical. Okay, so extra canon. So I'm not even going to try to yeah. say that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so, before the beers. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so they, they are, they, inside the, the Protestant denominations, they're called apocryphal books. Right. Inside of the uh, 
older branches of the church, you know, Catholicism and the orthodoxies, uh, they're referred to as deuterocanonical. And, and those books, like I said, and some of them are very, very uh, prevalent for things that happen even across the New Testament. Uh, for example, uh, the books of Maccabees explain what happened at the fall of the temple. And that's actually where you get uh, Jesus going to the Festival of Lights. And the Festival of Lights would be called Hanukkah. 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 Yes. Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. That actually comes from Maccabees. So they are actual historical accounts of what happened. And to this day, they are celebrated. Uh, and Jesus actually participated in them. You know, so and the, these these are, are accounts that backfill stories that we don't actually have in the Protestant church. And we should. And I'll say that if you go back to the uh, the King James Bible of 1611, it included the Apocrypha. So, take that for what it says. <laughs> um, I will make a slight reference to the Book of Enoch, which we'll be covering in a future episode because it deserves its own episode. It really does. It holds a dear place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it is quoted by Jesus and by the apostle by the, by the apostles um it's directly quoted by Jude it's referenced in second peter uh the book of revelation and a lot of new testament theology comes directly from it so we will be exploring that uh like i said earlier it is included inside of the ethiopian orthodox and beta israel canons um, one of the reasons that is significant is because uh, Ethiopia is the oldest country in the world as far as Christianity is concerned. Um, Armenia tries to say they are the oldest country. It is actually on their Wikipedia page. <laughs> but there is no historical evidence to back that up. There is for Ethiopia. So Ethiopia is the oldest Christian country. Um, it contains, it may even contain the Ark of the Covenant, depending on who you talk to. Oh, now you had to bring that <laughs> up, huh? <laughs> so That's another episode. But, <laughs> way to leave that with the listener. <laughs> but Christianity started there very, very early. I mean, you're talking about, if you, Philip, well, actually, Philip the, the Apostle. Ethiopian eunuch. Yes, Philip the Apostle That's true. ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch, and according to their records in Ethiopia, he was the first missionary, which mm. is ironic because it was his home, right? His country. Yeah. But he was yeah. the first missionary to Ethiopia. And guess who else drinks brew? Who's that? The Ethiopian church. Oh, you're right. You are correct. <laughs> That's it. We're we're converting. <laughs> <laughs> so so huge huge significance inside of their uh, inside of their uh, their church. But we are going to wrap this episode up right here. We're going to say this as we go. There is no one inspired canon. You can't say that sixty six books is inspired. You cannot say that anybody's canon is more inspired than the others. 
especially when you have things like, you know, I don't know, Christian Orthodoxy, which dates back to the first century. Okay, so yeah, we yeah. can't say that their canon is wrong and ours is right, especially when we came along, yeah, I don't know, yeah, I don't, let's say, let's say 1,500 years later. <laughs> or more. <laughs> and that's why we say there's nothing taboo overbrewed. That's right. <laughs> Talk about a taboo subject with Pentecostals, holy <laughs> well, we are here to cross boundaries. This podcast is specifically started. It blew away the Baptist too. To open, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we took out a couple denominations. <laughs> we started this podcast to make the East meet the West, open the conversations, and open some eyes. I mean, it's time that we really explored Christianity in context with history. And that's what we are doing here. So we're going to leave you with deep thoughts. So until next time, let those deep thoughts ferment over time and text. Take it easy. All right. If you like what you've heard, please hit subscribe and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, Tumblr, Instagram, SoundCloud, and visit us at BibleOverBrews.com.